Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Hashtag Gen Z. I'm your host, Megan Grace. Welcome back. This is episode 20 of Hashtag Gen Z. In this episode, we're talking about a topic that's become increasingly more interesting to me. As Corey and I set out to write Generation Z, a century in the making, we knew there were some topics regarding Generation Z that haven't really been focused upon so much. Spirituality and religion is one of those topics. We were quite curious to learn more if formal religion and spiritual groups, which date back thousands of years, have relevance among today's youth population. And with most things with researching Generation Z, we came across some interesting findings. In a 2015 study, only 54% of people reported identifying with a religious group, which aligns with another study that was conducted by Pew that found that religious service attendance has decreased with each generation. These findings even further resonate with the SERP college freshman study that was conducted, which found that the religious participation among college freshmen has decreased with each generation. For example, in 1985, 86% of Gen X first-year college students reported attending services frequently or occasionally. In 2001, this drops to 83% among millennial first-year college students, and in 2015, this drops to 69.5% of Gen Z first-year college students. While we cover so much more about the ebbs and flows of religiosity and spirituality in our book, I wanted to get a first-hand account of what spirituality and religious practice is like with Generation Z. I'm joined in this episode by Catherine Streeter and Schofield Foster, who work in youth ministry at the Grace Church in South Carolina. Schofield and Catherine provide leadership for the Forge High School Ministry Program, and I'm excited to welcome Catherine and Schofield to the conversation to share their experiences and insights in working with Generation Z high school students. I'm really excited to dive into today's topic. Um, We're discussing Gen Z and religion and spirituality, and I'm really excited to introduce my guests today. They're doing incredible work and specifically in that topic and having them come share about what they're doing with their work at Grace Church in South Carolina. So I want to introduce my guests, uh, Schofield Foster and Catherine Streeter. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you're doing with Grace Church. What's your role? And how did you get into this work before we even dive into thinking about what does this mean for working with with Gen Z teens and youth? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's been about, oh goodness, 10 years ago now that um, my faith began to be personal for me versus something that I'd really just been surrounded by with with family or other social things. And so... Um, about four years later, I got connected to uh, our church and I started getting involved with um, the youth on a volunteer basis and um, was really enjoying it, just enjoyed the role of getting to be a mentor. And uh, and so about a year later, I was offered a position on our church staff where I got to go work with building 
uh, environments and building communities for our students to grow in their faith. So it's been about six years ago that that happened now. And um, now I work primarily with high school students um, alongside Catherine. And, um, you know, it's been really neat to see because we've been doing this together for four years now, just how, um, how much of an impact you can have when you really get invested in our teens. Yeah. And I agree with Schofield. So funny enough, Megan, um, Schofield and I actually grew up together. Um, so we've known each other since we were babies and now, um, we are coworkers, which is hilarious. So we knew each other when we were both in high school. Um, so we see the difference, um, the Lord has made in both of our lives. So I also came to know the Lord about 10 years ago and, um, and then I went to Clemson University and worked with high schoolers there and got connected to Grace Church. That was my local church when I was in college. But local church for me, I wasn't as invested um, as I wish I was. And so after college, um, I worked as an intern at a camp for a year. And then Schofield called me and told me there was an opening at Grace Church um, in student ministry, and he thought that I would be great for it. And so I came on um, about five years ago in middle school ministry and then moved up to high school ministry with Schofield, and we've been here for about four years. And I work primarily with our teens and um, especially specifically with our females. I think it's important, especially knowing what I know about you, of having kind of a younger adult mentors um, involved with these young people. And we'll talk a little bit more about how you've revitalized kind of your teen and youth program and, and hinging on that. But I think it's incredible that you two are, are dedicating your lives to working with, with Gen Z teens. And I would be interested, and in, you've been doing this work for quite some time now. What trends have you been seeing in engaging Gen Z young people in religion and spirituality? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say one of the things that is interesting to notice is um, because of social media, which is obviously a part of their life and has been since they've been old enough to make decisions and have relationships, um, there is this, I would say, even false sense of what it feels like to be connected to other people. So having digital relationships is certainly something, but it also can fall far short of what it's like to have real relationships um, with people that know you and that you're spending time with on a deeper level versus what the surface of social media can often provide. And so it can give the illusion that you're connected without it actually being the case to the point where we just see different types of struggles. Like a lot of our teens that were, out and about doing things that you could argue were destructive 20 years ago, our teens aren't doing those things anymore because they're just staying at home and not feeling the need to get out and to get connected with other people because they can do that digitally. And so they're not feeling the need to get their driver's license because why leave when you can interact on your phone you can at home? So that's just been an interesting trend for us to note because one of our goals is to build relationships and communities. Um, that's something that we've seen more, more often with this generation of teens. Yeah. Cause there's so many times that we are pushing um, biblical community, authentic relationships, and they do not know what that means because they feel like they have some sense of relationship um, through their phone. 
and that's not what um, we are advocating for. And then also another trend that we have seen is a lot more distraction. I mean, solely because of social media and um, just technology in general, video games, just a lot of different things that they're able to distract themselves with instead of, um, I don't know, really processing emotions, really processing relationships, just different things like that. They are much easily, uh, they're more easily distracted with things um, than having to deal with the hard situations that they um, are confronted with. And then we've also seen definitely a trend of consensus culture, meaning that students and the Gen Z culture really feel like they have to agree on everything um, instead of actually making some of their opinions known or that they actually disagree in love with um, a fellow believer. Um, we just always feel like we have to agree on everything. And if we disagree, then we hate each other, which just Agreed. isn't true. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like in the name of wanting to all of all of us like each other, we'll just agree that we should agree about everything. And so nobody is really thinking anything, you know? That's a really interesting point. And I, I'd love to discuss kind of this idea of agreement because I know that you've shared that your, your church is doing really interesting work in kind of, I believe you called them, uh, what was, it? it was kind of the, not the difficult conversations, but this idea of um, really concurrent issues of progressive issues of mm-hmm. um, sexual orientation and gender identity and some of these things that churches and faith communities are grappling with. And that can be a thing that is, that can pull people on polar ends of it and and having this community, but within this community, having people that do disagree on these topics. Can you talk more about how your church has kind of facilitated some of these kind of, what was the exact term that you used? Yeah, we just, we just said hard topics, relevant topics, um, the things that really our teens are thinking about and dealing with or, or being surrounded by, but that feel infused with tension. And so it often feels safer just to avoid it. I mean, for us, it's become a, a core part of what we're trying to do as a church to just really get in those topics. And it's messy, but we found that that's what we need as human beings and our teens included. So specifically over the past couple of years, um, we've done two series, um, one on sexuality uh, and dating. That was a combination there. And then this past January on anxiety, <clears throat> two topics that as a team, we just noticed were really relevant and that there were a lot of, there's a lot of cultural buzz. Um, there's just a lot of struggles and trying to figure that out with our parents. And so we invited our parents and our teens to a three-week series where we covered those topics. Um, and, I mean, it does create tension. And it's often, it's, it's interesting to see how oftentimes we in the church are starting conversations that haven't started at home. Um, but there's something, it seems, that in our goals of trying to help create an authentic faith community, that dealing with things that are real, even though they're uncomfortable, is actually compelling to our teens because our willingness to, to not hold back and, and with love, like Catherine said, we're not, the goal is not to, you know, we're not even trying, it's not primarily about us being right. It's about what the truth is and what we believe God is calling us to live and how he's calling us to live and be. And so 
we've just seen positive traction with both our families and our teams when we are willing to create an environment where those hard topics, those hard conversations can take place. I think that is, a, and I, we, we're going to get into more about what you've really done to revitalize, I don't want to say revitalize, but really make an, an engaging and attractive faith experience for the young people that attend your church. But I think that in just listening to to that response, there's so many things that from our research that we know about Gen Z, that families and parents matter, that you're bringing them into those conversations is a very big deal, that you're willing to talk about some of the tough um the, the issues that are sometimes our larger society has a hard time discussing um, is, is a big deal because the young people today know more and more about these issues and they do want a place to be able to talk about them. And the fact that you're doing it out of a place of we're trying to build authentic community means a lot. And um, it's just in, in hearing all of this, there's so much of what we're seeing with Gen Z research kind of coming to light in, in your faith community. I think that's incredible to be able to, to hear about. But I would love to, and I'm sure other people would love to know, really what exactly you all do and, and base your kind of philosophy and working with today's young people um, at, at Grace Church. So what are some of the programming things that you do um, and what have you found to be successful in reengaging this group? So we've seen in research just an identification of teens and young adults, this decline of young people formally identifying with a religion. They might identify as spiritual, but um, this full identification with a religious group. But you all have done a great job in engaging and attracting these young people. So I would love to learn a little bit more about that. So we, on Sunday nights, we have a program um, and we have worship, we have teaching, we have some fun games and um, and then we go into a time of small group. And so we have small group leaders that are around in the, you know, from moms and dads to young adults that are leading these students um, that are following the Lord themselves and are able to walk through different things with these students. And that's been one of the most successful things that we have seen um, for our students is the relationship that's built between a small group leader and these students. So they spend every Sunday night with them. They go to their um, sporting events, their plays. They um, spend time with them getting coffee. They grab lunch with them or dinner. Um, they're, they're constantly in their lives. And so they're really earning that trust and building that credibility to be able to um, speak to these students about the gospel and about the Lord. And those students know that their small group leader loves them because they've earned um, a lot of this relational capital with them. And so they're able to spend it um, by speaking the truth, by holding these students accountable. And um, I think that our students do find that compelling because there's an authentic relationship with someone who's truthful and really loving them. So that's one of the things that we have found really successful in this ministry. Yeah. I would add to that that <clears throat> in those conversations, there's an effort that we're we're always trying to train and empower our leaders to to make sure that students know that we're not looking for stock answers or the right answers. Even we're looking for real answers, and so we're we're just we're always asking questions to our students. Is this something that you really believe? Because we know that many of you don't. We know that some of you think that you do, but do you really? I mean, so just this effort to constantly put aside niceties because it's such a temptation to just want to appease mentors and to appease churches and parents. 
that we don't care about that. We care about our students legitimately having a personal faith. And to do that, we found that it takes a lot of work of just constantly pulling back the layers of um, attempting to just say the right things and actually figure out what you really do believe. Because it's more important to us, like we'd be more than happy to have a student tell us that they don't believe than pretend like they do because they think that's what we need or something. So just cultivating culture like that of what we've called authenticity, um, it seems to have been both just important, number one, and then at times effective. That's so interesting that, so I've been learning more about authenticity and what it means for Gen Z through the lens of social media. And so like we kick off today's conversation, we talk about how social media is kind of this place where they think that they're finding connection and the thing that they crave the most, and you'll hear it in, in a lot of conversations with, with Gen Z is that they crave authentic, authentic people online and they crave authentic relationships. And that's what they desire both from individuals and companies. And so I think it's fantastic that you all are utilizing that as like your main tactic of building these relationships in an offline setting. So just find that an interesting connection that the thing that they're saying they want online is a thing they very much so could get uh, if, if they were spending time in, in the faith community. So I think that that's incredible. And you've, you've mentioned in some of our previous conversations that you're putting in some very intentional effort around helping them find ownership around a cause. So can you talk a little bit more about what you're doing in that regard and engaging young people in the community, especially with some of the community issues and, and causes they might care about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that it's just a human reality that we all want to make an impact. We all want to make a difference and um, make the world a better place. And we believe that that was something that we were created to desire. And so one of the main things that we found to be important is for our students is that they actually their, their faith has to be something that they um, don't just consume, but they contribute. And so when a student begins to make a contribution at our church, whether it's serving in our children's ministry, um, helping with our parking lot, I mean, anything, setting up and tearing down equipment after and before services, um, beginning to actually themselves be a leader in a spiritual context and help develop other young students or young children and their faith. There's something about ownership and having a cause that helps make their faith personal. And um, we've seen that to be true for us. I mean, you know, when you teach something, you learn it far better than when you're being taught it. And so just when they're putting their faith into action and they feel like they have a cause that they're owning, um, it's been a vital part of how we make disciples at our church. How do you facilitate the connection for that students and helping them find that cause? Is there a point in the programming that takes place or what, in what ways are you connecting those young people to finding their, their cause they care about? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a few different avenues of entry points for how students can start to serve and start to have a sense of ownership. Some of it is just our parents. So our parents are, you know, we believe the primary uh, disciples of their students. And so at our church, there's just been over time a culture that's been created where parents are challenging and encouraging their students to make a contribution to serve. And so they simply have the ability to connect them with our children's ministry staff, for example, where they can help with preschoolers or help pull off some fun skits. Um, and then aside from parents, we have small group leaders that we've mentioned before that are 
also pursuing relationships and helping students understand the connection between their faith and being a server, not just a consumer. And then also in our programming as well, we're, we're communicating about those values. Yeah. And we also, we have something called Forge Leadership. So Forge is actually um, our high school ministry. It's ninth through 12th grade. And there's something we have the second Wednesday of the month in the morning, we have something called Forge Leadership. And that um, is a place where we talk about um, relevant, hard topics, like we've said, but um, it's at 6.30 a.m. And so we say it's for students who are wanting to lead others and lead themselves. So there's different topics we talk about and there's different things um, based on their character, their credibility, just different ways that they continue to step out and see which ways that they are gifted and um, in what ways they want to serve and lead throughout not just their church, not just our church, but in also their sports teams, in their drama team, in the beta club, like they're able um, to really discuss with us and their small group leaders and get a feel for um, how they want to lead in every aspect of their lives with their siblings as well. 6.30 a.m. That is a wake up. That is a wake up in the morning on a Wednesday. Um, yeah. But the ones that are <laughs> really there, is. man, the ones that are there, they're probably doing the good work. So what advice do you have for others who may be interested in engaging Gen Z in religion and spirituality? It, there's, I think there's a lot to learn from the work that you all are doing. Yeah. So for us, um, there's a lot that um, we know the culture is constantly changing. And so we have to be um, involved in what's happening and going on in our team's lives because they are in the know and they see it on social media And so there is um, a website that gives a weekly email of what's going on in pop culture from a Christian perspective, and that is called axis.org, so A-X-I-S dot O-R-G, and that has been a really, really helpful place for us to see what's going on in our team's lives in the Gen Z culture. And around those topics, we really just ask questions. I mean, I think... For anyone that's wanting to engage the Gen Z culture, it's really um, to ask questions, um, get to have relationships with these students and get to know their lives and their relationships and what's hard and what's good. And um, I really just get involved with them. Yeah. And I would add that, <clears throat> you know, I think it's sometimes counterintuitive that our teens want to be challenged. They don't want to be tiptoed around because we, we want them to like us as adults or agree with us as adults, but they are looking for someone who in love can call them to a higher lifestyle than they would choose. And so we, we try to build in this, we believe in our teens. And so we want to call them to move towards their, their faith in a way that they would never have moved on their own. And that's, I think that's always been helpful for us. Um, I think, Catherine, I loved your point on ask questions and know what's going on in Gen Z culture. And while I don't work day to day in religion and spirituality, I feel like that really resonated with me because all I do is ask Gen Z questions and try to understand what's going on in Gen Z culture. So I I couldn't agree more in some of the ways that sometimes it's just a matter of of asking them and, and not just assuming. So I appreciate that's also the mindset that you all take into your work. So I ask this of every one of my guests because I really do think it is an incredible generation that we're working with right now. But what is your favorite thing about Gen Z or working with Gen Z? 
Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed that's neat is it seems like that with Gen Z, there's more and more of a desire to prevent anyone from being marginalized and excluded. Um, I think some of it just has to do with the attention in their lifetime on social justice <clears throat> and social injustice. And so I think that if you just rewind the clock 20 years, certain biases and stereotypes, I just don't think that Gen Z carries them in the same way. Things around, you know, race or um, gender or anything that just someone who might be different. There seems to be this more built-in desire to include. Um, and it's kind of the, it's kind of the positive side of what we see with consensus culture where students need to agree because they don't want anybody to be excluded. There's a challenge with not being willing to have a different thought, but the heart of wanting everybody to feel included and not feel marginalized um, is definitely something that's admirable. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to Schofield's point, we, um, we do love the, the open mindset that they have. Um, but hopefully prayerfully the willingness to um, be have a soft heart towards um, what we have to say but I do believe that they ask a lot of great questions they don't take anything at face value but they are curious and um, so hopefully that gives us a platform to then speak in to them but I do see that for for Gen Z. I couldn't agree more and I work with them mostly in a student capacity or um, an interview capacity. And I, I, again, I see these things resonate in, in my work too. And it's wonderful that they're bringing that curiosity and they're bringing that open mindset and that inclusive nature um, to their spiritual settings as well. I want to thank you both for spending some time today sharing about the work that you're doing and the philosophies that guide the work that you do as you spend time with Gen Z and engage them in, in their faith. So thank you both for being here and, and sharing today. Absolutely. We were excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm so appreciative of the conversation I was able to have with Catherine and Schofield. Their work serves as an example of a church that is working to attract young people into spiritual experiences by creating opportunities that align with their interests. They're willing to go the extra mile in building relationships that matter, and they don't shy away from their real life and sometimes tough conversations. They're providing leadership and role models to young people to show that religion, social justice, and acceptance can all work together to make communities stronger and more united. I want to thank them not only for their willingness to share, but their role modeling for Gen Z and serving as an example for other churches looking to engage Generation Z. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about spirituality and religion. It's not a topic we often find ourselves talking about in the mainstream conversation, everyday life even. So I'm glad you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying season two of Hashtag Gen Z, don't forget to share the love by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Your ratings and comments help me improve the podcast and help other listeners find it. We're nearing the end of season two, so I want to give you a quick teaser about what's on deck. Next episode, I'll be chatting about music and what's cool with Generation Z, and we'll be closing down the season with an inspiring conversation about the power of Generation Z. I really don't think you're going to want to miss those, so I wasn't kidding. Subscribing is a great way to make sure that you don't miss the last two episodes of season two. If you want to stay connected, say hi, or share a comment, you can head over to my website, meganmgrace.com, or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks again for hanging out. Let's continue this conversation, and we'll chat soon.
worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.